0: quick couple of thoughts about today's show. Second half topic is about street photography, and preceding that, there's a 10-minute or so piece recorded with the amazing photojournalist Jason Florio, as he shares a very personal story photographing in New York on the day the Twin Towers fell. Now, there's a, a short, dramatic editorial sequence into that piece, which I know for some people makes for makes for, well, difficult listening. I'm, I'm never quite sure whether we actually become, or some people can become desensitized to that kind of material with uh, what well, with how we consume graphic pictorial accounts of news stories across a a myriad of platforms these days but um i th- i thought i'd throw those thoughts into the mix before i press the play button for the for the theme tune this week
1: the fuji cast
0: welcome to episode seven uh, by the way um uh, because we had a couple of emails about this about the the mentioning episode number thing, you can now do it it's legal we seven. Can, yeah, seven seven you are allowed to say it and you can even put it on the um, the app description as well so all that stuff that was said a couple of weeks ago has gone so if you're ever looking for a, for a, a, an episode number from the past it's going to be a lot easier now that's literally okay. the best thing i've heard all week job done right um this week we're going to be talking about street photography and um there's a, quite a lengthy question from emily is it rainer you uh renier renier yeah. Renia, um, because I think she's been on a course of yours, hasn't she? Has. she? Yes, Renia So, good. But there's quite a long question, but it's a really good question into talking about street photography. So I'm going to put that to the um, street photography part for a moment and we'll we'll start with the questions. I do have a, a couple of bits here, first of all, though. Um, some questions to answer. Ben Gillett said, um, Loving the new podcast, great insights and in chat, Neil and Kev. I absolutely love the main theme music. I would love to know what it's called and where to find it. Well, I think you'll find it on SoundCloud. Um, it's Blue Wednesday, and it's called New Shoes. New Shoes? New Shoes. Hmm. So, um, that I, I didn't know one. that. Boop, 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 boop. New Shoes. Oh, n- there was a... There was a band called New Shoes,
2: wasn't there? Hmm, I don't know. No, okay. I only like country and western. <laughs> do you? Mm. No way. Mostly, yeah. You do like Glen Campbell, don't you? Yeah. Well, I, I liked th- him. Yeah.
0: him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went to one of his last concerts, in fact. Did you? Yeah. Oh what what a musician he was! Mm, excellent, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sad w- with with the the whole the whole thing about him. It was Alzheimer's. Wasn't Alzheimer's, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And actually, he was very confused on the stage. Kept walking off and then coming back on. Well,
0: he played for years, didn't mm. he? With with the condition mm. and his family used to help him
2: and they made light of it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah They'd yeah. say, "Dad, dad,
0: dad, we played that one
2: before." His daughter was the um, pianist or keyboard player, right. uh, if I remember rightly. And yeah, she's uh, she, when I went to see him in Cardiff, she kept kind of nudging him and yeah. directing him back and he had all of the uh, lyrics were printed very big in front of him but uh, honestly his guitar playing was was it faultless, faultless. Really? absolutely wow. faultless, it was amazing wow. absolutely amazing, I'm glad I got to see him before he
0: yeah.
2: left this mortal coil, bless him
0: Andy Brim, um, did anybody else notice that Monty Don in his Japanese Gardens programme, I can't say I'm a watcher of that show, uh, carries an X100T
2: Monty Don no, Monty Don. He is the uh, the guy off Gardener's World, isn't he? Is he? I have no idea. I think so. Isn't he? He's, the, he's not the guy with the big telephone who stands there. And, I'm on the phone. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's Mon, that's Monty Jolly or something. That's What's Dom his? Jolly. Oh, Monty. Who's Can't Dom? talk now. <laughs> I'm on the phone. That yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. He's I always, hilarious. I see him at Kemble train station loads of times. But he's never up, on a mobile phone, disappointingly.
0: Um, Mon, Monty Don. Let's look him up. Let's see who Monty Dom is. Mon, Monty Don. Monty Dom. Japanese Gardens. No, there it's, it's Dom. Don. No, Dom. Dom. Don, not Dom. That's why we're getting him wrong, uh, Monty Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah. English television presenter, writer, and speaker on horticulture. Look at his real name: Montague Dennis Wyatt Don. See, that's good. That's a, yeah, he O-B-E? should have kept that. Mm. O- he does have an OBE. It's a very cool name, isn't it? Yeah, Monty Don. Well, there we go. He's, he's, a, he's a he's a Fuji film user by Bo- the sound of it. Born in Berlin. Hmm. There you go. So, should we uh, should we launch off with the uh, the questions? You can go with the, with the first
2: one. <laughs> okay. So, um, I have uh, who's this? This is Jeremy Baker and he says uh help i use lightroom and shoot raw and jpeg but once the raw files are in lightroom i only seem to be able to convert some of them using xraw studio Um, when importing from the camera into Lightroom, is there a particular setting of these you choose? Copy as DNG, copy, move, add. My suspicions are if I copied as a DNG, stops any processing of RAWs to JPEGs via XRAW Studio and the attached camera. You lost me at hello. Yeah, by the way, a great podcast, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much, Jeremy. So if if I'm reading this rightly, which I may well not be... Well, I think the easiest way to explain this is tell you how I do things. So XRAW Studio is not a companion really for uh, Lightroom. It's a standalone application that allows you to take RAW files that you've previously photographed or previously taken and convert in the camera to the JPEGs. Okay. Now, if you're using a GFX, I think possibly even a XH1, you can actually kick out TIFF files. um, But ultimately it's a JPEG. So XRAW Studio really is, you have to tether the camera to the computer. Uh, you don't need to have the camera... You don't need to have the memory card with the RAW files in them in the camera, but you do need to have the camera tethered to the computer. XRAW Studio then sends your RAW file down the cable to the camera. The camera then converts it to back to the JPEG with the settings you've chosen on XRAW Studio, and then it sucks them back into the computer as JPEGs. Lightroom... You um, need a round of applause for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lightroom... Um, uh, I do have a fully functioning video about that on my YouTube channel, by the way. Yes. Oh, my word. Um, Plug, plug. So Lightroom, the way that I use Lightroom, essentially, is I will do my culling before I take anything into Lightroom, whether it's RAW or JPEGs. Um, I have the setting in Lightroom that says treat RAW and JPEG files next to each other separately. So they both come in. I do not convert to DNGs at all, ever. I never have done. And the the whole DNG thing, by the way, was uh, that's an Adobe standard. Yeah, and I've it, never converted to DNG. No, no. Well, originally, I think the the premise from Adobe was, look, we need an industry an industry standard raw format. Right. Okay, so they invented DNG. Yeah, and, and the idea was that if digital negative, correct. I think that's what it stands for. Yeah. And, and the idea was that if I mean, this is way before you know, Fujifilm and Sony and all those kind of things were were doing their thing. I guess. Um, but they, the idea was that if Canon or Nikon or the big you know, DSLR manufacturers went pop or there was no support for their raw files in the future, mm. there would be an always-available open-source DNG format. Of course. That was the plan. Um, however, I believe, and I may be wrong, so I'm sure we will get the, the answers via email if I'm not right, I believe that the DNG format was never fully opened up by Adobe. Mm -hmm. so ultimately whilst it's a good thing you know you create a DNG you've got all full raw uh, editing capabilities with it but in the end if DNG stops getting supported where do you go then so um, yeah I don't convert to DNG um, I don't really see any need to do that uh, raw files into Lightroom and away and you go, or Capture One or uh, uh, Alien Skin Exposure as I use now, you know well oh, all, Do you use Alien Skin over, over Lightroom? I don't use it exclusively but I'm using it more and more and more right. they're, okay. they're What was they're... your reason for that? Um, well, I just like, I really like the, uh, the processing of the files in Alien Skin, mm. it doesn't have the full capability of Lightroom, it's not quite as good workflow wise, but they're getting better, mm. so currently I think Alien Skin is on version 4, um and you know you can do things like smart, well, the equivalent of smart collections and stuff like that in Alien Skin there, which was what was holding me back with version three. And yeah, I mean Alien Skin's great, and and you know what I mean, I I, I I'll continue to to pay my whatever it is forty seven pound a month mm-hmm. to Adobe, but for people who only need uh, a raw processor and a very good one with lots of great film simulations it's a one-off fee isn't it you know yeah. so there's a lot of people who use things like Alien Skin and Capture One I believe is a one-off fee I think again I don't use that at the moment so I'm not sure whether that's a subscription but there's a Fujifilm specific version of that yeah. Um, and yeah so there's lots of options but the whole thing about DNG um, you know it's it, the, the the key question here the key part of the question is my suspicions are if copied as a DNG stops any processing of RAWs to JPEGs via X RAW Studio and I guess the answer to that is yes I don't believe you can use dngs in x raw studio and convert them to jpegs they need to be dot raf files um for raw fujiform raw files
0: talking of dot raf files i've got a question we're going to come to in just a second before we do that and i'm i'm playing my joker early on this one um we we've been given camera straps to give away now kev you know more about uh, simpler straps than i do because you've used them you've seen them and you and actually you met the simpler guy in, In New York.
2: York. In New York. Yeah, so uh, Simpler camera straps, r- really good kind of um, independent camera strap manufacturer. I've got a lot of their straps, and JP is the guy that uh, runs it, I believe yeah. he owns it. Yeah, so he, I was at, um, what, what they call it, uh, some New York photo festival, whatever it was, and he just randomly walked You're up so to You're so showbiz. Me. That you, <laughs> you actually go to so many of these things now, you don't even know what they're called anymore. He he, uh, he randomly just walked up to me, shook me by the hand, and said, hey, I'm JP, I run Simpler camera camera straps and just gave me a camera strap yeah. uh, and I was talking to somebody else at the time and, and I turned around and he'd gone he kind of disappeared into the mist um, but since then you know I've spoke to him on email and everything and they are very good camera straps uh, I use them uh, especially for the street photography and yeah. they are um, they're lightweight they have the little clips and everything uh, right really, why, really
0: why nice. yeah the the clips is, is the bit that because I've been using Peak Design as you mm, know mm. and I like those because you can unclip them from the camera yeah and that's really handy
2: yeah and and simpler do the same sort of thing don't they yeah they do for some of the straps um, I'm not sure it's one every single one of their models but yeah you can see there we're looking at the website now it's uh, simplr.us we will obviously link in the show notes on the website um, yeah they they're, they're cool you know they're really nice they're they're kind of industrial looking um, but still very smart yeah uh, they're not you know bright red rope and all that kind of stuff that some people like um, very functional camera straps I find yeah, yeah. Um, very cool um, you know and uh, like I say he's uh, JP has very kindly offered to give us a couple of straps to give away and we thought the easiest way to do that rather than do it as a competition is to um, kind of like a question a of the week one of our,
0: our, fa- our yeah. favourite questions of the week so I'm playing my joker early uh, we've got some simpler straps to give away over, over the next few weeks or so um maybe that's going to extend as well which will be really nice um as something we can we can use when we, we're picking out our favorite questions i'm i'm going very early with this one one of, one of the things that i love about the internet by the way and and i'm i'm still a, a little kid when it comes to this is the fact that it joins us up with people all over the world mm. and and i'm i'm still i know i should have gotten over this a long long time ago but whenever i see an email from somebody abroad to me um, there's still a little skip in my step there. I, mm-hmm. I like it. And this one comes from how do you, is, now. I had to go and look this up. We did some research on this mm-hmm. in, in Mexico. Um, tijuana. T- 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 tijuana, tijuana. tijuana, 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 Tijuana. Yeah, yeah. That's a dog, isn't it? Uh, Tijuana dog. It's a beer as well, I think. Tijuana Well I, I Tijuana. Tijuana. There you go. That's what the man said. Yeah. But the the woman says it slightly differently.
2: Tijuana. Tijuana.
0: See, yeah. I, quite, I, I
2: like him. Tijuana. But she does say it a lot better.
1: Tijuana. See,
2: yeah. Yeah. But you know there's differences between uh Tijuana. Spanish Spanish Tijuana, and yeah. South American Spanish. Tijuana. Are they are they are they the differences? So perhaps it depends where the translation is coming from. So for example, it's Saveta. Or yeah. Cerveza or Cerveza. Mm. Just you to pick out the beer one. Mm. Anyway, it's this one's this one's
0: from Mexico. This one comes from A- is it Acer Acer. I should have I should have looked that one up as well. Big hug from Tijuana, Tijuana. or Tijuana in Mexico. <laughs> Hi Neil and Kevin. Uh, first of all, hello from Mexico. <laughs> I just want to say I'm a big fan of the work that both of you produce as well as the podcast keep rocking my friends um, I'm hoping to see if I could get your feedback on something I've been shooting Nikon for the past five years or Nikon depending upon where you are in the world, of course. And recently switched to Fuji, Fujifilm. Got the X-T3 and the 23 1.4, the, five, uh, the 56 1.2 glass as well. I'm using the 56. It's been phenomenal. Picture quality, great. But I've been struggling with a quality image of the 23 1.4. Specifically, when I'm shooting a nearby subject, the quality, that's good. But as soon as the person or couple goes five metres away or more, I've noticed the quality is not at all what I was expecting. I'm including a RAF image, so this is why it plays back to the RAF thing. Um, and let me just... Um, I've got the RAF here. Now, I know this is podcasting and radio, so... I'm going to zoom in a bit. You can, you've can uh, you got yeah. your mouse your as well, your side as well. So let me read the rest of it while you're, you're zooming into that RAF image. Yeah. I'm including a RAF image of a recent shoot I did where I focused manually to make sure I'd nailed the focus. I'm constantly hearing this is an amazing lens. So I'm curious to get your opinion as to whether I'm having issues with the specific lens I bought or just wrong expectations altogether. If I zoom in a bit toward the couple, I feel the image starts to pixelate too quickly, if that makes any sense, and at 100% the quality just seems bad. Any thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I can definitely see that the the main people in the picture do appear soft, for sure. Mm. Um,
0: Softer than you would expect?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look right. Definitely doesn't look right. But what I would say is that... That tree, though, looks... Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think the whole thing looks a little bit soft. But I don't think... I mean, you know, you, you nice know, image, by the way. You, yeah, beautiful image. Um, you can tell that's not taken in Swindon. <laughs> um, it, you know, I, I guess what you'd have to do is test a few, uh, lots of other images and, and all that kind of stuff. But to me, that that does not look right. No. I think that that's uh, that's soft there. You know, the the thing about the Fujifilm lenses or, or kind of mirrorless lenses lenses in general is that they no. don't need calibrating, they don't need realigning or anything. But you can get, you know. Bad lenses, it can happen. It might be a problem with the lens, it might be a contact. Well, he did put on brackets here that he got it through eBay. Not
0: that that should make any difference, but maybe it's being clattered about or something like that. That's
2: definitely not quite right. My twenty three is great. I mean, I, I've my twenty three one point four is the original one. I got it. I don't know. It's probably six years old now. Mm. Um, still, uh, it's a workhorse. I have no issues whatsoever. Close up. I mean, all lenses are going to be a sharper at certain apertures. Yeah, and I find that the twenty three one point four probably somewhere around two point eight to three point five is its sharpest point. That's the sweet spot. Yeah, that's sweet spot. Um, but yeah, I mean this. This just looks like a badly focused picture, which I'm sure it's not. Um, And if it's being replicated in other images, then I would get that serviced, yeah. Absolutely. Double-check the camera with other lenses as well, of course. Thank you very much for your your question from...
1: Tijuana. Well, He's
2: going to get the straps. Yep, simpler strap is coming to you, Acer. Well, so we'll thank, sort that out. Thank you very, very much. Right, Kev, you go with a question. Okay, so I have a question here from Bevan in New Zealand. Hello, Bevan. Question for Kevin, please. When shooting anything, including weddings in a documentary style on mm. your X Pro 2, will you use an optical viewfinder with a small EVF overlay in the corner or relying purely on the EVF? Would be interesting to know, especially as you shoot at such wide apertures okay thanks Bevan and uh, the answer actually is if you'd asked me this question about the X-Pro1 I would tell you that I would be shooting a lot using the optical viewfinder Um, X-Pro2 obviously came along with the what they call the um, hybrid viewfinder so you can use the optical viewfinder and you have a little digital uh, screen in the bottom right hand corner that gives you an electronic view so you can uh, see the exposure check focus all of that kind of stuff and the answer honestly is that I use the optical viewfinder almost all the time now. The Do you? Um, sorry, the electronic viewfinder. Oh, right, okay. Electronic, yeah. electronic, electronic. The electronic viewfinder is so good. It's I, I notice no lag, no um, perceived issues, apart from in really low light conditions when I might pop over to the OVF. Um, if I'm shooting with my X Pro 2 on the street, likewise with my X 100F and I'm shooting zone focusing uh, and occasionally I'll do this at weddings too then I will use the optical viewfinder because obviously I'm not looking through the viewfinder at that point no. I'll use the optical viewfinder because it saves battery power it's not going to be shown on the LCD on the back etc yeah. etc et um, but the fact is you know I use the electronic viewfinder because it's so reliable now and you know I know that the electro- the optical viewfinder is uh, part of the, um, the soul of the X-Pro2 and the X-100 and uh, you know heaven forbid that they ever kind of took that away from it i don't think they'd do that no 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 no. i'm sure they wouldn't um but the fact is less people use it than they used to for sure right right. Uh, it does give people a really good introduction to the fujifilm system because if they're coming from a dslr background obviously the optical viewfinder is Mm. dslr like Mm. um so yeah electronic viewfinder mostly for me on the X Pro 2 okay um this one's from murray
0: mcmillan (coughs) Hi, Neil. Hi, Kev. Love the podcast. Looking forward to the next one. Wanted to email in a question on gear. I've been chatting online to Mark Condon from ShotKits. Um, of course, we feature them
2: mm-hmm, last, um, week.
0: last week, and specifically the GFX. I'd had a loan of the S last summer, ever since I've been wanting one, even more so with the new R model. I shoot all Fuji for weddings and personal work using the X-T3 and X-Pro2 and X-100F. I've been reading reviews and considering a GFX 50R had chatted to Mark, and he said other than the file sizes, he couldn't see much difference from the GFX to the X series in terms of image quality. Obviously, opinions, etc. But I wanted to see what yours were, Kevin. Even in terms of printing, I'd have printed a wedding on Saturday for my X-T3, and my buddy and I were saying how nice it was, very detailed, I'm going to be more doing more printing. It's a de- uh, decision I've made this year and going forward. I don't especially need, this is why I've, I'm reading this, I don't especially need a GFX. But as you know, sometimes it's not the need that wins, it's the want. And I've seen you, Kev, with the GFX. You mm-hmm. didn't really need one,
2: but you wanted one. And you had one
0: for a while. Yeah. But you don't have one now.
2: No, I um, I had my GFX 50S, and then the 50R came along, and I was involved in the, the kind of sample images for that. Um, so, yeah, I kind of I got rid of my GFX 50S pretty mm-hmm. quick. Now, interestingly, I think... This this question rings a bell, so I wonder if Murray's already um, contacted me on social media about the same question, um, which is fine, of course. But yeah, the fact is the the fifth uh, the medium format sensor is better in terms of image quality, dynamic range, uh, cropability, all of that stuff than the um, X Trans sensor. I mean that is obvious to me it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the thing you would use for everything I still shoot all my weddings my street photography work and 99% with my X-Trans sensor cameras and when you print it's it's blatantly obvious that it's a better sensor
0: blatantly yeah. um i've seen some stuff at your office where you printed from the gfx i think there's a picture of Albie in particular
2: yeah 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 with the tears and stuff yeah yeah uh, well you know i i think i don't know obviously we weren't privy to the conversation you had with mark at ShotKit, but if you're not printing, or you know, if, if you have a GFX 50R and all you ever do is stick it, stick pictures on Facebook, then uh, you know, pointless. it's pointless, yeah, absolutely pointless. Uh, if you have a GFX 50R or 50S and you print and you, or you are, you know, you need to do fine retouching your studio shooter or landscape photographer or anything, then the difference is there, it mm. is there, you mm. know, and it's uh, I- I haven't seen anything from the GFX 100 that's come in, um, but that, I'm told, is another level again. I do know for a fact that the GFX 50R is outselling all of their expectations they are um you know it's flying off the shelf and there must be a reason for that people you know people are seeing the 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 benefits of it and of Mm -hmm. course it's i don't know what three and a half grand or something so um yeah it's it's different it's better um but it's not necessarily uh something to replace your x-trans if 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 you're happy with that and you and you know you need smaller faster cameras then x-trans is the way to go OK, um, let's have one more from you, then we've got some thank yous to, uh, to make. OK, so I have one from um, Alan Gump in San Francisco Bay Area. Now, Alan is going to be my question of the week. Um, we should have a
0: da, 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 da,
2: da. that'll do it I will get one for next week yeah, I promise. So, so Alan will get a simpler strap well done Alan um, and the question is gents first many thanks uh, for all for you uh, for all that you are doing for us isn't that nice <laughs> yeah um, Kevin recently you posted a video about applying street photography principles in your wedding photography mm. you mentioned that you use spot metering can you please explain how you spot meter on a busy street with the rapidly changing tonal palette and that's a really good question and of course we're, you know we're talking about street photography today. Now um, I'm not going to go into the intricacies of spot metering. Essentially it's where the camera will meter for a much smaller part of the scene and it will give you an exposure value for that based on whatever you're pointing at essentially. Now metering of any shape or size, all it's doing is giving you an exposure value, three values, ISO shutter speed, aperture and if you wish and you're happy with that meter reading, you can dial those three things in manually the metering then obviously makes no difference because you're taking full control of it. So essentially when I'm uh, shooting on the street I am not generally wandering around and rapidly taking pictures of different things Mm. I will find a pool of light I will meter for that light so I will meter for that highlight area often where there's a shadow people are going to come out of the shadow into the highlight area so I've used the spot meter in to meter on the highlight area I've locked that in either manually if the light isn't changing too much or using the AEL button or just half depressing the shutter button to lock the, the exposure in and then I just wait put the camera by my chest wait for something to happen come into that um, that zone, that area, and then click the button. Now, if I need to re very quickly... That's a really patient approach to street photography. Mm. For, for all those people who think street photography is just, see something, nail it! See something, nail it! Yeah, I mean, there's an element of that for, you know, I... I, I yeah, I mean, people do things different ways, don't yeah. they? And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. But to, to re-meter very quickly, all I'll do is point the camera right down again and point it at the highlighter so at the ground where the light is and half depress again so I can do that very very quickly um, and then just kind of bring the camera up so what I'm looking for with my street photography when I'm using that light light is people coming out of shadow into highlight area Um, and of course you can meter from something that's not necessarily what you want so you can lock the focus you can meter from a pool of light maybe coming from a window or something half depress recompose shoot so you're taking a meter reading from somewhere else uh, you know, that's 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 another way of doing it. I love that shadow play way of, of mm. working in street
0: photography, that's, yeah. That's the stuff I really like when I see it on Instagram, etc.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love it too. So, yep, yeah, that's uh, that's the answer. Well, we've got um, uh, our, our,
0: it's not so much of an interview of the week, I'll introduce it in a, in a short while to you since we're doing something on street. Um, I want to introduce you to um. To uh, well, quite a serious uh, subject in just a moment's time and it seems almost frivolous to do this but but I, you know the light and shade of this program is what what it 's all about thank you very much for your um for your uh, for your reviews etc that you 've been leaving uh, for us it's really kind of you we really appreciate it what what we 've done um, because we thought it might be a little bit self indulgent if we just sat here and read thank yous so we've, we've kind of wrapped it in a we're allowed to do just a minute of the, the self indulgent minute. Uh, we're allowed one one minute of it, and uh, I tell you what, because you you've got them there, and I've got them here. We'll do one, then you, then me, then you, then. Does that make sense? Yeah. Here we, here we go. As a Fuji shooter, I've been a huge fan of Kevin for years. Oh, there we go. That's nice. Oh, pleasure. You're fans. So while the podcast is great for those Fuji tips and chat, it's also a great resource for general photography too. Thank you, guys. That's uh, Marky P. Um,
2: Excellent for all keen photographers. I've got one from somebody called Now Wash Your Hands. (laughs) That's a cool name. Uh, I bet he was ball like that Uh, really enjoying the content you should do a live podcast from the photography show too late it was last week but it's a great idea
0: ah that's a good one for next year (laughs) Um, this one is from the Do Run, the Run, to Run Run. It helps if you're into Fujifilm, but there's a lot of general interest photography stuff in there too. Uh, two guys who obviously love what they do and provide advice and insight to a range of photography subjects with a slight bias
2: to Fujifilm. and must listen for the stories and humour. Thank you very much, uh, Mad Jeff. Um, I know a couple of Mad Jeffs. A slick production. <laughs> that's a good listen. Engaging, controversial. Oh no, conversational. Controversial and, in- and interesting to all photographers, not only Fuji shooters. Or well, that's it. You're not that. Do anymore, who is it from? Mad Jeff, Mad Jeff. <laughs> sorry, Mad Jeff. We- I, only, I only got Mad Jeff and keep uh, no, wash your hands. i Oh, sorry about that. No, no, you had three, it's not fair. I didn't know, we I'll were, start next week. I didn't know we were counting. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, though. So, and uh, obviously, on that point, that uh, if you do, can you leave us a review? You know, we prefer positive, but your integrity is important. (laughs) Um, It really does help
0: us. Um, Our topic today is street photography, coming up soon, directed really by a question received from a listener. And so this feels like an appropriate time to introduce this week's featured interview, which is with the photojournalist Jason Florio, who I met on my recent filming visit to the Gambia, Kev. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jason is a photojournalist that has spent time living in uh, New York, Malta, the UK. He is a UK um, guy, and now he lives uh, in West Africa and in, in the Gambia. And um, he was telling me about um, some time he would spent in Afghanistan and his journey back to America after that. I don't want to say too much more, because um, I, I think that the, this next 10 minutes um, relays... Such a potent story from a photojournalist. When you do, you remember? Everybody remembers where they were. Nine
2: Eleven day, mm-hmm. do not they? What were you doing? I was working for Deutsche Bank in right. the city. Believe it or not. do you, so, me- do you remember the day, the the time, <laughs> what people said? Yeah, we were. I was in the front office, so um, all of the traders had all of the the CNN. Like, there's just hundreds of screens, mm, news. monitors everywhere. And I just remember, you know, kind of these gasps and looking up, and then everybody's head. Staring at these screens, and mm. then watch literally watching it as it all unfolded. Mm. Um, and then Deutsche Bank sent everybody home. They closed the whole trading floor. They, they closed Did everything they? down wow. because obviously it was financial. And there was these terrible you know, gossip mongers and rumours. And they were they were like, um, oh, they're sending a plane over to Canary Wharf. Everybody has to get out of London. Yeah, and and uh, you know, so it was carnage, absolute carnage. And mm. of course, you, you know, I know a lot of people in those days when I worked in in that industry. I knew people. That I luckily myself didn't know anybody personally, but people who sat on the same desk as me uh, lost colleagues and you know oh, friends that they they yeah. you know they, they worked with and stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely horrible. Okay. And I, I do remember it very vividly, very vividly.
0: Well, I, I spoke with uh, with Jason in the Gambia, and we had a, a long podcast conversation, which will be on my uh, general photography. Um, interview uh, podcast called Breathe Pictures so you'll, you'll hear the, the full it's a, it's, it must be about an hour um, with, with Jason we talked about his work in the Mediterranean um, because he was um, covering the migrants uh, crisis with the, with the boats um, and we talked about his work in in Africa and the Gambia and and then we we started with this I asked him to tell me um, about a day in photography and I expected really three, four, five minutes really of, of him telling me a particular story, which would start this 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 podcast that I was I was producing. Yeah. What came out though over the next ten minutes was not quite what i was expecting we understand that a plane has crashed into the world trade center we don't know anything more than that we don't know if it was a commercial aircraft we don't know if it was a private
2: aircraft another one just hit the building
0: wow i literally i was waiting at table and i literally saw
2: a it seemed to be like a small plane american 11 are you trying to call Nobody move.
0: Everything okay. It's 8.54 right now, Stuart. Can you tell me when this happened exactly? I would
1: have to say about 10 minutes ago. I heard first an explosion. Unconfirmed report that a plane has crashed into one of the towers there. We are efforting
0: more information on this subject. And all of a sudden, stuff just started falling, like bricks and paper and everything. We can't see a second plane in the picture. There we see the explosion.
1: Probably four to eight floors. Uh,
2: I don't know which tower it is.
0: 2,996 people lost their lives as a result of the horrific 9-11 attacks, 2,606 of those in and around the World Trade Center. The images made that day by members of the public and professional photojournalists pieced together a story of an unthinkable American tragedy. Photojournalist Jason Florio remembers that day.
1: So I was making a second journey into Afghanistan in uh, 2001. Uh, in 2000, I'd travelled across Afghanistan to uh, to get a look at what the Taliban were up to. And my intentions were to uh, to head up into the north to be with uh, Amishar Massoud, who was one of the big anti-Taliban commanders. Unfortunately, we couldn't make it in 2000, but a year later, I, I, the invitation was left open and I was able to get up to uh, to see Massoud. Spent about a month uh, up in the Panjshir Valley where he was holed up against the Taliban. And uh, spent pretty much all of August up there with him and his, his sort of crew of fighters. Um, and I returned to New York right at the beginning of September, about September the 5th, and I, was, I went to show all my pictures to the agency and they said, yeah, it looks really great. No, I couldn't sell them. No one was interested in Afghan pictures and I was just really disgruntled. Um, and, uh, well, September the 11th happened and I live in Greenwich Village and obviously, Literally, sort of walking distance to the Twin Towers. Um, I was actually at a at a friend's house when I got got the phone call from uh, from my agent and said, "Look, something's happened at the Twin Towers." You didn't hear anything. Yeah. I, well, actually, I should go back. I did actually hear something. I heard a plane go over, and I thought that's really. Do you want me to go back? Or...? No. Okay. So. So I did actually hear a plane go thing think, well, that was really low, didn't really think too much about it. The phone rang and it was my agent. He said, something's happened at the World Trade Center. I know you live close by. Do you think you can get down there? So I ran back to my apartment to get my gear. I had an Italian photographer friend staying there. He grabbed his stuff and we started sort of going against the tide of people. We could see the towers were, were burning um, and I ended up getting to the to the foot of the the towers my friend I was running with actually was wearing a pair of flip flops <laughs> so he, he said I'll, uh, I'm going to go you know go back and get properly equipped kind of thing so I said oh, okay, I'll meet you later I'm sure it's just probably a small plane or something's happened it's not going to be a big deal um, I got to the Foot of the towers, um, and I was with a bunch of policemen and some firemen, and we're, and we're just looking at these things burning. And I was sort of trying to compose pictures as best as possible. And um, the, the fireman said, "You yeah, know, there's bits of debris are starting to come down. I think we should we should pull back a little bit." And instead of pulling away north, we just basically turned. To the right onto Vessi Street and just as we took a few steps i heard this massive explosion and i looked around and I thought oh there must have been by that point we did know the big planes had hit but we thought oh maybe there was another bomb in the building and that's what's exploded didn't realize a tower was coming down anyway i started sprinting up the block i put the camera behind me and just fired off about four very wobbly frames of dust and debris And it felt like I was running in slow motion. It was the strangest sensation. And I realized when I went back later on that that street has a small incline to it. So it did sort of feel I was sort of fighting this, this sort of movement. I got up to the corner, which was just maybe about a hundred feet away. And there's a small uh, entrance to uh, the World Trade Center subway station. And I just literally went down the stairs because the dust had caught up with me by that point. And I just went tumbling down the stairs ended up at the bottom of the stairs and I had a, a contact G2 camera with me and a, um, and a Canon EOS, all film cameras obviously back then. And I realized the uh, the viewfinder had got smashed on my G2 and I was more concerned about the equipment. And then I realized I couldn't actually breathe because so much dust had gone in there. And I started to, uh, to have a minor panic attack I would say because I was like, oh my God, I've got too close. I'm, never, I'm not gonna get out of here. Um, and I heard some voices, and um, uh, and so I had this visualization that I would be able to get onto the tracks, and with these other people, we'd be able to walk up the subway tunnel. Uh, the people I was with were actually uh, end up being police officers, and they had kind of a yellow, they had some, some sort of vests on. So I remember, like we, I sort of held on to them, and we sort of started to make our way through this tunnel. But we actually popped up on the other side of the street. Uh, on Broadway, and it was just this insane scene. It was just the air was filled with this with the dust, it was sort of almost yellowish in color. Do you remember
0: the smell?
1: Um, at that point, I don't remember it, but it was something that stayed in the air in New York for a good two or three weeks. It was this very acrid, burning smell. And I can sometimes there's things that remind me of that, and I'm immediately taken back to that moment. But at that point, I remember just trying to breathe, I had all this dust in my throat and there was an ambulance that was parked there and I remember trying to open the door of the ambulance I thought, well I can get in there and get a bit of air but some firemen caught up with us and um, they took us to uh, there was a, a small deli, it's called the Stage Door Deli, it's just um, about a block away from the World Trade Center and in there there was a load of policemen, there was some firemen everyone was just completely covered in white dust um, there was Ruth Frempson, she was a big New York Times photographer and she actually won a Pulitzer Prize for the photograph that she took inside of the the deli there um, so I sort of stayed in there for I think about 20 minutes just trying to drink water and kind of get all this dust out Ooh, head. heads yeah and it was just a sort of a, a very sort of strange scene I remember it, I don't remember the sound it felt very quiet I'm sure there were sirens and things, but it's almost like I live that moment back through the pictures and it obviously the pictures are silent. Um, and I think got about 20 minutes into it and I thought, you know what, I, I can't sit around in here. I need to get out and see what's going on. So I got out onto the streets um, and I saw a, uh, a, a uniformed woman. I, I didn't think what department she was from, but she was with a, an officer who was down on the ground um, He was—I didn't know at that point—but he was really badly injured. He got his arm almost severed, Um, and she was trying to help him. Other people were coming around. I started taking pictures of of this uh, officer, and years later we sort of reconnected. We had two very different points of view of what happened at that moment. i I was sure she she said to me, "Said, what are you doing? You know, have you got nothing else better to do?" And I said, "I'm just doing my effing job." (laughs) She told, she said, "I was actually really polite." when we met years later, and I don't remember it that way, but I'm glad she remembers it that way. Um, and then I decided to move on further down the, the block, and then, again, there was this massive rumble and explosion, and that was the second tower that was coming down. Um, and actually, just moments before that, I'd called my apartment, I had another friend of mine staying there, and I was, as I approached, uh, it was one of the payphones, there was a guy standing at the payphone, in all the dust, and he said, "I can't get through." And I said, "I can't get through on my mobile." And he said, Oh here's a here's a quarter. Yeah, maybe you can get through. Call. Cool. You know, it was our song. Cool. Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares." <laughs> Um, did it. and so I got through to Joanna who was at the apartment and I said hey Joanna it's Jason I'm, I'm down here and she said, oh, I'm, said I'm fine and next minute that was when the tower the second tower came down I literally dropped the receiver and started sprinting so she remembers being on the other end yeah. of the phone yeah and just hearing the silence uh, and at that point I got to a uh, Street subway station I went down the stairs into that and and um, yeah there was yeah you know, i ended up being with the uh, the ticket clerk in the uh, in the office and uh, there was an fbi agent down there as well um and then we were discussing what we were going to do at that that point you know i was i was documenting it but it was also happening to me at the same time as well and to my friends we were all you know obviously completely shell shocked by what had, what had happened you know every morning i'd come out I live on uh, Waverley and Sixth Avenue and I'd come out onto the street and the twin towers were right there. And often we'd sort of gauge the weather by whether you could see the tops of the towers or not. And after that you'd get up and it was, it's such a shocking thing. It's, It's almost, it's incomprehensible to think that those buildings are not there. Yeah, and I think it's a place that we all had a, or if you had been to New York, even if you hadn't been to New York, yeah, there's, there's such iconic structures. Um, and whether they're structures, you see them as sort of something that's very arrogant, or you see them as something of beauty, or just as a landmark or whatever, or a feat of, of you know, human endeavor, it was, it's still just the audacity of, of what happened there is just so shocking. And even to this day, I mean, I get quite choked up about it still, you know, certain moments that happen and it, it really, it sort of, it penetrates me. Like the, the court officer, um, who I who I mentioned, we, uh, I reconnected with her a few years ago and, uh, and it was, it, you know, it was, it was very emotional to sort of come back and, and retell. So, and her story was quite phenomenal because she had actually been in the South Tower when it collapsed. So just after I'd seen her, when I'd photographed her when she was helping this other officer, she had actually just got out of the rubble. Her uh, commanding officer that she was with was killed next to her they got They got thrown and she miraculously survived without really any injuries. Um, but her commanding officer was was killed down there so um, well yeah. My thanks
0: to Jason Florio for his time in recording a much longer podcast with me when I was uh, spending time with the Gambia recently. But I, I, I thought, particularly since we're talking about street photography today, that that was a very appropriate piece mm. to, to, to play and such powerful pictures from that day. Yeah. Um, we'll put all the details to Jason's Instagram and his website um, into the, the show notes so that you can go and see his work as well right let's get back to to your email well there's an email really that's, that's launching off this week's topic and it is from emily uh rainier um hi kevin i, I did get a mention here <laughs> and neil in brackets <laughs> thanks for these podcasts they really are fabulous i wonder whether you could take the subject to street photography versus gdpr a bit further in your next podcast which we're going to do right now kev you talked about Uh, at length about your fear that we're in danger of losing decades of documentary photography because of these laws. I used to love Street. In fact, it was Street that really got me into shooting. But a few months ago, I got stopped a few times by either the police or members of the public. For taking pictures, and I was absolutely within my right, or indeed was being very um, unintrusive. So to be honest with you, I actually started to feel as though I was stealing from people by trying to take shots discreetly. I felt so guilty every time I took a shot of someone without their permission that usually that eventually rather my stride, my creativity, it vanished, and I decided to stop doing street. I don't regret this because I've turned to family photojournalism. Kind of thanks to you again, Kev, I think. But uh, I do still think about the dilemma, especially when I'm travelling and my camera is still velcroed to my hip. Documenting society and its quirks and trends is one thing, but I feel as, well, through Insta and indeed the world of photography, it was being plagued with street photographers who shoot for their ego and not to study our behaviours for the benefit of future generations. What are your thoughts? Where do you start? There's so many points there. Shall we start with the 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 idea of being approached by people in the street? Because I know that's just wrong, isn't it? Yeah. In this country, it's wrong. If you were in France, now, as we said before, very different privacy laws. But Absolutely. In the UK,
2: you can still shoot on the street. You can, um, although there are some grey areas. And, uh, you know, for, for example, um, I was doing a workshop in London a couple of weeks ago, and we were stood outside of the Bank of England on the pavement. And we weren't taking pictures. I was actually explaining to people that the, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily know for sure whether you're on private land or prop or public land. And the security guard from the Bank of England came over to us. And he said, uh, there we go. Uh, you know, um, I've been told to come. My, my manager has told me to come and, and speak to you to see what you're doing. So they've been watching you on CCTV. Yeah. And bear in mind, we weren't taking any pictures. We were talking about, you know. And uh, and he took one look at our little Fujifilm cameras hmm. And then he, and he said, oh, I've got an XE2. <laughs> uh, and I said, oh, we're just doing a workshop, you know, and just kind of teaching people, uh, you know, about uh, the cameras and, you know, street photography and everything. And he said, oh, well, just so you're aware that you are – and bear in mind this is the pavement that runs to the, uh, down to the tube station. He said, you know, you are – the Bank of England do own this pavement. Funnily enough, I've shot a video with you there before. Yeah, and do you know what he said to me? He said, if I was you, I would go over to the – island because there's the big island. Yeah. A, a lot of people think that the, um, the big shopping mall is the Bank of England, the one with the pillars and everything. That's yeah. not the Bank of no, England. No, it's not, no. It's the one on the other side. So he actually said, you know, if you go over to the other side, you'll get better pictures anyway. Um, you know, so he was absolutely doing his job and absolutely fine and being very polite. He realised that we were not um, kind of menacing in any way or, you know, we weren't there to to, to take pictures of the bank and then sell them or anything yeah. like that. Um, there are a couple of trends I find on uh, on YouTube, especially. I've, I've bumped into a couple of videos where people seem to be photographers seem to be going out out of their way to rile up the uh, the police and the security guards and everything. Oh, just to be able to say, no, I'm allowed to do this. Mm. Um, and I don't believe, I don't think that's a good thing either. That's just not good for the people who want to shoot naturally on the streets. So to go back to, there's a couple of points with Emily's um, Email, I think the whole thing about GDPR. um, Most people, you know, GDPR was like the Millennium Bug. It it kind of came at us a million miles an hour, and then the day after, it kind of just disappeared. A lot of lawyers got very rich. A lot of lawyers got very rich. However, it is still a thing, and um, you know, there are you still even in Europe and and the places where you technically aren't supposed to shoot, you still um, uh, there is this kind of element of artistic rights. Okay, Um, in the UK at least, you can still my understanding okay so it's, it's important to say this is my understanding you still can shoot in public places mm. um, if you take a picture let's just say you take a picture of two people having uh, I don't know sat down at a table having lunch and one of those people is staring right at the camera and is very very obviously um, uh, you know it's easy to see who they are you, know, you could recognise them if that picture is then to be used for any kind of um, PR, marketing uh, book covers you know anything where there's going to be kind of commercial money involved, then that's where it gets tricky and and then you should have a model release and and, an acceptance from the people that they would be used. Um, Now, this is why we see a lot of street photography from the countries where it's become more tricky to shoot that are very much more, um, I I don't know, what's the word, kind of... um, less context of the story but more about the art so a lot of shadow, a lot of silhouettes a lot of kind of colour and everything yeah. which are very beautiful pictures I love them um, but for me and it sounds like for Emily too that you know she's interested in documenting people and the history of it yeah. and I, I you know I don't want to go over it too many times because I think I've mentioned it before but what happens in 30 years time when there is no pictures of this time you know it, it, it just beggars belief and this is all coming from uh, you know GDPR and all of this other stuff is coming because of of things like Facebook and the privacy uh the, the way that they've infiltrated our privacy is causing problems for us mm. um now I think that's an absolute terrible thing because you walk into the street, you are photographed on CCTV, every time a police camera a police car goes by you they film everything. You know, you, you how many people have dash cams on their camera on their yeah, cars? That's true. Everything. Yeah. Everything is recorded, okay? Yeah. Absolutely everything. And there should be no, and well, I'm really passionate about this. There should be no Reason: If you're taking a picture with uh, within an f- ethical boundary, i.e., you're not um, you're not abusing the fact that you're taking that picture, then you should be able to do so. And those pictures should stand powerful. And I've said it before that you know the, a benign picture of somebody on a mobile phone today might be boring, but in twenty thirty years time, that picture will be a nostalgic picture. Yeah. You know, and and that's critical. And we're losing it, uh, and it drives me mad. Um, You know, so uh, my my aunts my. my uh, You know what, I was at the um, uh, Cheltenham races on Wednesday. Uh, A couple of things happened. Yeah, now you've been doing this a few years now. A couple of things happened. First thing was I walked into a lamppost for the first time since I was six years old, and it really, (laughs) really hurt. shouldn't be laughing, sorry. It really hurt. 200 people around me laughed their heads off. Were you drunk? No, it was like half past nine in the morning, so I'd only had a couple of beers. (laughs) Um, There's only one other time in life where you're allowed to drink a couple of beers at half past nine in the morning, and that's when you're at an airport. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I was doing my thing at the uh, Cheltenham races, which I'm not interested in the horses, I'm interested in the people. Yeah. And and the security guard came up to me and he said, What are you doing? I said, I'm taking pictures He said, What are you taking pictures of? I said, I'm taking pictures of the people. He said, Why are you taking pictures of the people? I said, Because I'm more interested in the people than the horses. He said, But maybe the people don't want you taking pictures of them I said I don't like going to the dentist but I still go and then he, he kind of shrugged and walked <laughs> off <laughs> but the fact is you know he and he was within his rights also because actually yeah. I was not in a um, public place and you know I, I'm again I don't take pictures that are, that are abusive or anything but that's what interests me mm. you know that's what interests me and people look at those pictures and you know Martin Parr goes to Martin Parr was there as well actually not on the same day but I read on the, I think on the Magnum blog that he was there and of course he would have had accreditation was there for a reason etc etc um but the fact that he's interested in the people can't possibly stop other people from being interested in it oh, also no, you yeah. know uh, and it's not about them selling accreditations or anything you know i mean i i, I actually have a press pass but it's not you know i'm not going to wheel that out it's it's irrelevant it's it's Documenting, it's storytelling, it's history. Um, and I, I should get off my pedestal now.
0: No, not at all. I mean, I, I I wanted to see if we could get Doogie Wallace on today's show. Unfortunately, he's um, finishing off a book, so he couldn't. But he has promised he's going to come on the show in the next couple mm, of months. Good. which is great. Um, but if you take Doogie Wallace and, and maybe Bruce Gilden as well, now their pictures, they're they're very intrusive, aren't they? Because that's march up to somebody, oh, bang, flash in the face. picture... You know these people haven't given their and and then they they're often used in um, well he's working on a book now yeah I dare say not every single one of those people has given him model release no absolutely I, I, I'll I, ask
2: him when he's on the on the podcast I, I absolutely and so he will, he will be able to verify the, the the kind of rights and wrongs of it all I mean uh, you know uh, I have all of Doogie's books I have uh, you know I have the whole load of them uh, that video that film they made of him um, I think it was Channel Four uh, around Harrods yeah um, you're right I mean him uh, Bruce Gilden they they are you know they're in your face, and they kind of walk away with the pictures. And who knows? I don't know. I'd love I'd love to, to speak to him about it. Yeah. Um, I also spoke briefly at the photography show to Edmund Terakopian, who's a friend of both of ours, um, and he's a work in press photographer and um, you know I mentioned to him that, that that we get this question a lot so I'm hoping that at some point in the near he'll future come he'll on come show. on as well um, and he you know he said yeah I'd love to talk you know with the caveat that it's not um, you know he's not a lawyer he's not no. you know it's it's just one of those things that's that's you know really annoys me that we we even have to have these conversations. And Emily
0: did say within her email as well, documenting society and its quirks and trends is one thing, but I feel um, through Insta, um, the world of photography, where well, it's now plagued with
2: street photographers who shoot for their ego and mm. not to study our behaviours. Do you think mm. that's true? Yeah, <laughs> damn right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and also wedding photography. You know, I mean, how many people? Uh, I don't think anybody would admit it, but I have many people go to a wedding, see a shot, stage it, set it up with a view to making it a competition entry or thinking about the likes on Instagram rather than thinking, this picture is going to be great for the client. You know, uh, the client seems to be secondary in many cases. Um, The currency of likes. The currency, absolutely, currency. Some people's currency is ego. And I've always thought that the downfall of Instagram will be ego. You know, the whole people who buy links, people who buy followers, you know, to a great scale, just because they want to be seen as uh, you know as being successful it's just a shortcut no you don't get anywhere in life by taking shortcuts and that, and that's true of, of all of that stuff as well absolutely you you had another question though.
0: <laughs> i should have hang on hang on let me get my troll effect there we go yeah that's me that's kevin at yeah. 9 30 in the morning give me a beer <laughs> You had another question on it, didn't you, actually, with regard to, to street stuff, didn't I you? I
2: did. I had another question from Paul Carpenter, actually. Yeah. It's a very similar thing. Uh, congrats on the podcast. Uh, at the end of the podcast, you, briefed, uh, you touched briefly on the legalities of street photography. Uh, I'd love to do more of it. However, I'm becoming greatly concerned about the reactions I may receive. Mm. Um, same thing, exactly the same thing. Try not to be concerned. As long as you're not doing anything... Um, illegal, rude um, bad mannered then yeah. uh, you know w- what's the difference?
0: What would you say if somebody came up to you and asked to see what was on the back of your camera? I'd show them.
2: Would you? Yeah absolutely I'd show them. And what if they said delete it? I'd delete it right. but you know I can't imagine that would ever happen A. Nobody has ever asked me that ever mm. so uh, you know I'm giving that answer based on no experience but you know I always say to people. Uh, and how would it make you feel? But if they asked me to delete it, I'd feel, you know a little bit annoyed perhaps I mean it depends what the picture was of course uh, if it's just a snapshot of me you know I'm doing on the streets then yeah I would delete it yeah. but if you know normally I always say to people look if somebody comes up to you and says why did you take a picture of me mm. then say because you're, I love your face I love your, your hair I love the coat you're wearing the hat whatever you know I, I, that nunnins is hitting on me I, I, I'm interested yeah yeah. <laughs> that's I, what they're thinking sorry about the hair bit um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I <laughs> <laughs> deserve that yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, I just think it's pleasantries. And yeah. uh, I actually spoke to uh, somebody on Friday, I think it was Graham. And he is, interestingly, is a social, um, he works in, uh, he's in education, but he educates people on social conflicts, right. um, conflict management, all of that kind of stuff and you know I talked to him about this so idea so what would social
0: conflict be well Was like in, he, within the
2: workplace or no 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 no, no. Um, like world conflicts and oh, wow, wow, okay, uh, it's cool. a very very interesting story yeah, actually he had I but, bet. Um, so he'll go to places like South America and uh, you know and, and kind of um, parades and all that kind of stuff and, yeah, and, but yeah. he's, he's an academic essentially yeah. and, and, he, and, and he said exactly the same thing in those kind of situations you just honesty integrity politeness mm. and a smile mm. now uh I only allow myself to smile thirty-five times a month, so you know I try and get all my street photography in at the beginning of the month. Much Once I've run out of smiles, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Look, I've just used up two more. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> um, but y- you know, it's that's it, isn't it? It's just, it's just people doing. It's like yeah. riding a BMX bike when we were kids. We used to be able to do that anywhere, and they were like, "Get off the pavement! Get off this! Do that! Go to the park! Do this!" You know, it's like, oh, I really want to swear. <laughs> I'm not going to swear, but it it, it really just. Drives me nuts. You, you can know? swear if you like. Go on, swear. Did <laughs> that make you feel better? Yeah, much better. Good. But I used up another smile. <laughs> um i
0: i think that's it on street for this week i think isn't it
2: yeah kind of i think generally you know the without going on too much about it just enjoy it it's a hobby it's for fun it's for enjoyment those people that go out there with an ambition to cause trouble uh you know they're not they're not street photographers you know look at things like uh, it's being
0: brazen perhaps a
2: better way of doing it though i don't mean brazen rudely i mean
0: if you're going to make a picture make a picture don't hide behind a lamppost pop out dark yeah, shoot get yeah, back in again
2: yeah yeah I guess it's but, just be obvious you know look at look at things like the in public collective great collective of uh, street photographers i-n-p-u-b-l-i-c um, in public collective in public um, the yeah. amazing, amazing set of street photographers on there. Um, Matt Stewart, I think, is still a member of it. Um, you know the, and he's gone on to become a Magnum nominee now. Um, the uh, there it is the in Public Collective. That one. There we go. Uh, no, the one above it. Sorry. on that's to Twitter. Anyway, uh, you, we'll, we'll we'll put the link in there. Um, there's a lot of good people in there. A lot of different elements of street photography, and they're all. Um, they, you know, they are all kind of um, doing their thing. They're documenting in different ways. And, you know, uh, I think if... uh you know, I'm not 100% sure, but, yeah, Matt Stewart's still there, so... Oh, Trent Park's on there. Trent Park, David Gibson, you know... Mervitz. Yeah, yeah, Joel, um, Christoph Agu. There is loads on there. Soul Lighter. Soul Lighter. Oh, I love his stuff.
0: Um, I've got the video of Soul Lighter There's a DVD there, just there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Video, video granddad. What are you
2: talking about? DVD of Soul Lighter's um, story. I don't even have a DVD player anymore. Well, yeah, nor do I. That's why they're sat there. I can't <laughs> actually play them. Uh, but, yeah, some great Soul Lighter stuff on YouTube. Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? Just just explore, go look, um, understand that it's a uh, for most people, it's uh, something you do for enjoyment. If you feel threatened or embarrassed by it, then try and beat through that fear. Um, but you know, d- d- don't let the don't let the tiny negatives win. And my only hope is that as the millennials become the more powerful people, and the the lunatics that are running the asylums right now uh, get replaced by sensible people, then you know, laws and rules will be relaxed and everything else.
0: So street photography done. Um thank you very much for your questions. Um it's a subject we will come back to in the future. It'd be great if um if Doogie comes on and yeah. Edmund. Um, it'd be great to have Edmund on. Absolutely. So this is a subject we're going to come back to. Yeah. Um so make sure you, you do keep sending your questions in on, on that particular one. Click that- at
2: foodcast.co.uk and we haven't mentioned it once today. No, it's terrible. And also, you haven't mentioned the fact that Wales won the Grand Slam.
0: No, I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that one. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy shall it I that? Meant, shall I say it again? Did you enjoy that? that? Wales won the. Oh, well, I didn't see it because I was given a presentation at the photography show.
0: You didn't answer any of my texts that I was sending to you. <laughs> my phone was buzzing away in my pocket. I know. I kept sending you texts saying, You're going to win. You're going to win. Because I knew if I kept sending that, you might think, Oh, we're not. It's just going to be his tempting fate. Yeah. But it didn't work. There you go. And, we and you are yeah. the champion. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah. That's it for for um for this week. Thank you very very much for all your questions. Next week we're going to we're going to deal a little bit with digital marketing. Mm. So um that that will cover what people's websites, their Instagram, the social media, media. huge. Yeah, I mean I think I think stuff. that that is definitely a, a subject that we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to come back to a, to a couple of times, but that's what we're going to be doing on the FujiCast next week. Get your questions in to um to click at fujicast.co Dot UK right payoffs. Um, all right, my Jack's gonna do um, do my payoff this week.
1: My dad's Instagram is Neil James. sees films on YouTube at Neil James Photo. His website is neiljames.com for pictures and one to one mentoring. And you can hear his other photography podcast, which is called Breathe Pictures, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: he still hasn't done a payoff for you, has he? No, I was too terrified. Yeah, <laughs> so it's gonna have Bless to be him. Rosa. I, yeah. I think for the first foresee- I'll, I'll get him to do it for the foreseeable future. Or we could get Gemma to do it. (laughs) why not Gemma with all the (laughs) swearing
1: my dad's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography see his films on YouTube at Documentary Eye his website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk or for street workshops training and everything Fujifilm go to f16.click
0: we'll see you next week thank you all Bye -bye.
2: bye bye